Welcome to .NET Conf 2021. I'm Scott Hunter, the VP of Product at Microsoft on Azure and .NET, and I'm excited to be here today to share all the cool things that we built with the community and .NET 6. First off, .NET 6 is a unified platform. That's one SDK, one runtime, one set of base libraries to build all these crazy app types, whether it's cloud, web, desktop, mobile, gaming, IoT or AI, once you've learned .NET and you build one of these workloads, you can then build all of them with the same skills. And it goes beyond that. We also have amazing tools. You can use Visual Studio family of tools to build .NET applications with .NET 6. If you want to use a cross-platform editor like VS Code, you can do that. If you want to drop down to the CLI and do everything from the terminal, you can do that. .NET is very flexible. We have an amazing ecosystem of packages, thousands and thousands of packages out there uh, that you can build your apps with. There's a ton of amazing projects in GitHub, and there's an amazing group of component vendors and stuff that build tech on top of .NET. That, so it's a huge ecosystem, completely unified in .NET 6. Now let's talk about the momentum of our ecosystem. We have over 5.4 million developers using .NET every day in the Visual Studio family of tools. We have been the most loved framework in the Stack Overflow Developer Survey for three years in a row. And the Cloud Native Foundation measures the highest velocity projects in GitHub. And you're going to see that .NET has been in the top 30 for many, many years. Now, even cooler, we have over 6.9K community contributors outside of Microsoft that have contributed over 21,000 contributions. And so, that's an amazing effort, considering that we only open source.net back in 2014. Um, and so I want to step back and say thank you to all of those contributors for helping us drive.net forward. Okay, so thank you to all those contributors. Next.net and performance. So one of the key tenets of.net, once we reinvented it back in 2016, has been performance. The reason you should build your applications on.net is they're going to be the fastest. They're going to run the lowest cost in the cloud. And you can see here, we're still doing really, really well in the Tech Empower benchmark. It's a public benchmark. You can see that we're 10 times faster than Node.js. Your app's going to run very, very fast. But I'm really excited about what we've done in .NET 6. If you look here, Entity Framework Core Performance. That's our ORM built into .NET for doing data access. And you can see it's 92% faster than it was in .NET 5. That's a huge, huge leap in performance. On query performance, it's 36% faster. And what's really cool, if you take this Tech Empower benchmark and you take .NET, you take ASP.NET Core, and you take EF Core, put them all together, that's the first full stack ORM, we show up as number two in that benchmark. And so that just shows you, building a real application with a web, data, and .NET is gonna save you. Now let's talk about some of the cool features that we have in .NET 6. First off, I want to lead in and say, go download it now. There's a URL right here, get.net slash 6, and you can grab that to grab the newest bits. But as I mentioned before, we've got this unified common base libraries and SDKs to build all those app types. We have industry-leading performance. Um, we have simplified development. You know, if you look at development today with things like Python and Node, they, they, they make development start starting easier. And you're going to see a lot of demos today where we show you how we made .NET 6 
the easiest to build new applications with. We've got great new releases of C-sharp and F-sharp. We've got support for Apple Silicon, uh, M1 chip support. And this is a long-term support release. So you can trust it and trust.net. But we didn't just ship a new version of .NET. Yesterday, we also released Visual Studio 2022. Uh, this is the version of Visual Studio that's designed to build .NET applications. And so if you want to go build a great client-side application using a web front end with Blazor, it's got great support for that. If you want to be build multi-platform multi applications using .NET MAUI, it's got support for that. Um, you're going to see some of the really cool features as well today as well. Hot reload, all app types. Um, you know, whatever you're building, whether it's a WinForm application, a WPF application, a web application, we've got hot reload through all those apps. And it even works on things like .NET Framework as well. So that feature persists all of .NET. This, this release also has great support for Git, whether you want to use Git inside of the IDE for your, for your source control, or you want to actually right-click and have an application, have an, a GitHub action file, so you can use CICD. That's built in all the way from the core of the platform. And uh, it's got IntelliCode. It'll do full statement completions. It'll suggest stuff to you to refactor your application. Um, all of this in .NET and all of this in Visual Studio. Grab it today. Now, I'm really excited about this. You know, we've been shipping these new .NETs since about 2016. That's the first version we shipped .NET Core 1.0. And we know we have lots of customers out there on our older versions of our frameworks. And so we've built a new tool called the .NET Upgrade Assistant. It's available today. Uh, you can see we've had 40,000 people try it in preview. And what it will do is it'll help you take an application, whether it's a uh, ASP.NET MVC, Web API, uh, it can be a console application, a WinForm WPF, class library. It helps you take all of those app types and move them to our new tech. Um, and so it's a guided step-by-step -step experience. Uh, all those project types I just mentioned are supported. It's got support for C-sharp, and we just added VB support as well. And it supports .NET 6. And we actually built this tool internally as we would go out and talk to customers. One of them was EpiServer, and we helped them port one of their large applications to the newer .NET. Um, but I want to end with something else. If you are using .NET Framework, you, know, you should consider moving your tech to the newer tech because it's faster and, and has the newer features. But you should feel safe to stay there. You can stay on .NET Framework for as long as you want. It's going to be supported as long as Windows is shipping. Um, but I'm excited to announce that we have an update coming for .NET Framework 4.8. It's going to be .NET Framework 4.8.1, and we're going to add ARM64 support to it as well. So you can keep your older applications on .NET Framework and have a path forward into the newer silicon that uh, Windows supports. Now with that, I want to talk about simplified development. And this is kind of what I was highlighting a little bit earlier. You know, newer languages, uh, get right to code. You don't have to have all the ceremony that we've actually had over the years in .NET. And so first off, when I think about simplified development, I think about hot reload. You know, we all sit in a loop where we write some code, we run it in the IDE, um, we look at what the output is, we go decide to change the code, so we stop the application, we change some code, we recompile and start again. That cycle is super slow. What if you could just actually start running your application, go in and make a change, and push a button in the IDE or save a file if you're in the command line, and the app would actually update and keep all of its states. So this is going to make the inner loop, that's the uh, action, as I said before, making some code changes, rerunning your application, super, super fast. We're going to demo that. So less time restarting, more time coding. It's available in the CLI and in Visual Studio 2022, and it works on all project types, including .NET Framework 
uh, 4.6. Um, but of course, it's going to work best with .NET 6. Next is C-sharp 10. Uh, these are some of the most exciting features I think we've done in, in, in recent years. And we're going to see demos all day of these, of these features. One is global usings. If you build an ASP.NET Core application, almost every file is going to start off with this whole list of usings at the top. We're going to let you put those away somewhere else and reduce that code. Um, another thing is namespaces. You know, if you're building lots of, lots of apps, your entire file is indented. Well, now we have a feature where you can actually put a semicolon after your namespace, remove all that indentation, less stuff in your code. And you can also see as well is we added a feature called records uh, in C-sharp 9, and we now actually let you use that same feature. It lets you build a, a class in literally one line of code. Um, now we actually let you do structs as well. And then finally, this is my favorite. In many cases, building lambdas, in the, in the past, you would actually have to use like a funk of uh, string or int or whatever. Now the uh, compiler will try to interpret that for you and do that work for you. And Mads uh, is going to show that in a little bit. And then finally, when it comes to simplification, if you built an ASP.NET web API in the past, these are designed for enterprise level applications. And so they can scale to whatever level. Um, but that caused a lot of ceremony to be in the applications. You can see on the screen here, in literally three lines of code, I can write a simple API uh, with .NET 6. And these are going to make your life a lot easier, build faster, write less code, less ceremony. It's going to be great. Um, and so I want to start off and switch to my machine here and show a few more things about simplification. So first off, if you've been using .NET for the last couple of years, um, even getting started as a new developer is a little confusing. If I run this, this is all the things that when you say .NET new, if you're on .NET 5, you would see. Um, we've simplified that down in .NET 6. Look here. Now all I've got is I've got these basic types here. I can build a web app, a Blazor app, a class library, a console, WinForms, WPF. If I had the MAUI workloads installed, they would show up here as well. Uh, but this is a, just a getting started experience is simpler. Let's go take a look at um, a .NET 5 application. So if I build a console application in .NET 5, it's going to look something like this. Notice here I've got my using statement, which we mentioned before. I've got a namespace, which indents my entire application. I've got this in, uh, a, a class. And then a void static uh, main uh, method right here to do all that. So just to write hello world, I have to have all that stuff. Um, and we've done a bunch of work to simplify that with .NET 6. So I'm going to create a new project. Let's do a console application. And we'll just call it console app 2. That's fine. Um, I want to show something. This is super important. This is a new feature that we don't talk about a lot. Um, if you've been building .NET for the last couple of years, you could, if you're building an ASP.NET application, you could select which version of .NET you wanted to use. If you built a console application, a WinForm application, WPF application, or a class library, you could not do that. And you can see we've added into the file new experience, the ability to basically select the framework you want. And we even show you which ones are long-term support, which ones are current. Uh, so this is a much better experience for getting started. So I'm going to click .NET 6. And so uh, let me bump this up. And so now look at this. Just the contrast from a .NET 5 application with all that ceremony a .NET 6 application basically is console, right line, hello world, all in a single, just a single line of code, which is the way it should be. Uh, and this is one of the cool features of simplification that we have 
in .NET 6. And so with that, I'm going to bring Maria up, and she's going to talk about the podcast app that we're going to build during the talk today. Thank you so much, Scott. So during the course of this keynote, you're going to see us build a podcast application that highlights how we can, we've improved our mobile, desktop, and cloud-native backends in .NET 6 and what you can look forward to. So I'm just going to smooth over, over to this, this particular laptop and show you minimal APIs. But before I jump into our podcast application, I'm going to show you how easy it is to get started with minimal APIs. So I'm just going to do File New. I'm going to select a new project. I'm going to select Empty Web. Hit Next. Web Application 1 is a perfectly good name. And I'm going to create it. Now, in just three, four lines of code, you can build a functioning API. Never has it been easier in .NET to do this. It allows us for, for people to build APIs the way they want to do, allowing for you to build the APIs fast, quick, and get right to the code. So let's go ahead and show you how good these things work together. So I'm going to click on here and show you how the minimal pat pattern has also transcended into our other templates as well. So I'm going to create a new project by right-clicking on my solution. And I will find that. I'm going to add a new project. I'm going to select Web API. And you'll see that you have the option to build a web API with or without controllers, which shows you how simply these two work perfectly together. And with that being said, let me introduce you to the .NET Podcast API, which is a backend of our application. So I'm going to go over to the .NET Podcast API. And you'll notice a couple of things. All the things in dependency injections that you like, like entity frameworks and OP API, they just work. So I'm going to run this application. And there you have. You have open API. You have Swaggered enabled. These are things that people within .NET Framework love right now. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to execute it. And I get a return of all the categories. But let's say I wanted to return all the episodes. This is another really cool feature that we introduced in the minimal APIs as well, an easy way to build your endpoints. So I'm going to go back to my application. I'm going to go over here. And I'm going to add a map get. Now, because I'm an incredibly slow typer, I'm just going to copy and paste it in. I actually copied and pasted it in earlier because I was looking forward to this. But you'll notice that because of improved lambdas, we're able to build these simple endpoints. And with that being said, I'm going to introduce my dear friend, Mads, who's going to talk about how the improvements in C-sharp have allowed us to support these minimal patterns. Hi. Hey, Maria. Hey, Mads. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm always great when I look at minimal APIs. Uh, I think they're a great example of how we can do language design and API evolution together. Um, one of the things you've shown here is the, um, is the map, get, map, map gets and map posts here. And they have some pretty significant lambdas, some of them. You look at, um, let's see, let's do this map get up here, for instance. That's actually a lot of stuff in a lambda here. And it used to be that when you have a lambda, you have to cast it either in, you have somewhere that has to be like a delegate type that exactly matches it, which hobbles API design in a yeah, way. Yeah, right? it looked a bit complicated. Yeah. So what we, what we said in the language, you know what? 
the compiler should really figure this out. I'm sure lots of you developers out there have said the same thing. Why can't the compiler figure it out for me? And now it can. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take one of those lambdas. I'm going to sort of pull it into the pit and take the wheels off. And uh, we, can, we can just look at what's going on now. So let's take this lambda, move it up here, put a little semicolon. Um, and um, what you see, first let's hover on the map get. It just takes a delegate. Um, and we can put the lambda here just to, to make this all compile. Um, this is, um, so there's not like 100 overloads of map get. It just takes any delegate. And this is really the heart of the API experience yet today. Yeah, and but the problem is delegate is didn't used to be enough for the compiler to figure out what to do with a lambda. But now it can look at all this information, the the types coming in, the type coming out, and it and that the fact that it's async, and it can just figure out the right type for it. So if you see the type Got that it. it's inferred in the var here is is complicated, right? It's a funk of several things. The return type is a task because this is async. The compiler figured it all out for you. You didn't have to do it. Wow. Okay. And so you can just have one map get instead of having a thousand or having the, the user code here cluttered with, uh, with, with casts. So that's a really important improvement, Re I think. Now, uh, let's put this back together and, and head up to the top of the file. Here's another thing, you know. Yeah. The usings. Uh, th there aren't even actually that many usings here, and we'll get back to that. But typically, you know, ASP.NET, there's a lot of namespaces with a lot of good stuff, and you tend yes, to want to use a large set of them. Yeah. Um, and that's on top of every file. So wouldn't it be great if you could just not have it on top of every file and just put it in one place? So let me, let me cut out these usings. And of course, uh, now we're going to get squiggles. Um, but I have another, uh, an ordinary C-sharp file here. I happen to be calling it global usings. Okay. Uh, but it Very can be called name. anything. This could be anywhere in C-sharp code. I'm going to paste my usings here. That's not going to help because they're still only applying in this file. It's not doing anything with them. But now in C sharp 10, you can say global in front, and now they apply to the whole project. Voila. Right? And so you just have one place where you keep track of all the usings that you need for this project. And um, just to show you that, it's, that it really works, you know, you can see the squiggles have gone away. Round so, of applause online. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I, Please. Um, so uh, one thing, though, is that the um, you noticed, and I mentioned that the list is fairly short. And if you look at, for instance, web application here, um, it lives in this very common namespace, Microsoft.ASP.NET.Core.Builder. That wasn't actually on my list of things I hauled out. So, yeah, so how is it even how is it even building here? Why don't I go to Squiggle? Yeah, there must right. be something else going on. What's happening under the hood? What's happening here is implicit usings. All right. So that's where we figured, well, we, you can have global usings, but we can give you some as well. Like, so based on the project type, there are going to be all these things that you're almost always going to want. Like in ASP.NET here, there's like a list of, I don't know, 12, 17, whatever, a long list of things you'll always want, uh, including the BCL stuff as well. Yes. And so why don't we just, why don't we just build your global using and put it into the build, and they're implicitly there. You don't have to put them anywhere in your source code. So is it on by default, or someone has to turn it on? In a uh, new project, it's on by default. You can go and turn it off if you don't like it. Um, so there's an enable here. I can turn into a disable and save, um, and then go back to program and let the compiler catch up. And you see web application, now it lost its color. Uh, now it got its squiggle, Wiggles. you know, it's gone. <laughs> so the fact that we said, yes, please, which I would always do now, <laughs> to, to implicit usings. I'm going to 
go and do that again. That, um, that essentially means that there's so much stuff you never have to worry about. And yeah, imagine coming to the library the first time, you know, um, you don't even have to start worrying about what to include. What inclu but like with implicit using, global usings, Lambda improvements, top level statements, we've really embraced this minimal pattern, which is great for all kinds of developers, from newbies to people building microservices. Exactly. Love this. And we did a few more things to okay. kind of get you, get you simplified. So here's one of the APIs that, that this app is using. It's very short because it's a record, but it's still annoying, as Scott mentioned, you know, the, uh, sometimes you have thousands of lines of class declarations, and they're all indented because of this namespace that they have to live in. So, like, why don't we just have a syntax for namespaces that applies to the rest of the file without, it, without this, these curlies and this indentation? So I can, I can just say namespace semicolon, and all the rest is in there, and now I can go and and just have all my things nicely left aligned. I love this, and I feel like this is going to resonate so much with people coming to our platform for the first time from other languages as well. I hope so. And so the one, the one last thing is people really like records. That's a super terse syntax that we're using here as well. It just fits right in. That gives you all the value-based uh, uh, functionality, but it's always a class in C-Sharp 9. It's implicitly yeah. a class. Now, in C Sharp 10, you can make it explicitly a class. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't change anything other than you get to say it. But of course, what's more important is that you can also make it a struct. So now you can build value types that have the same, uh, the same terse simplicity uh, and you know, minimalism as, the, uh, as classes. So we, we built that out fully, again, for this minimal experience. Absolutely amazing. So yeah. everything is available to people right now. They can download .NET, the .NET SDK, and they can try out everything that you'll be seeing throughout the day. And with that being said, we'll bring Scott back on stage. Welcome back, Scott. Thanks, Maria and Mads. <clears throat> that was great. Um, I think all the customers out there are going to really love all the new C Sharp 10 features that make you or allow, allow you to write less code uh, for your applications. Let's next talk about cloud development, which is a big thing these days, and .NET is a great platform for building cloud-style uh, applications. And so people always ask me, Scott, can you give me some examples of some of the teams inside of Microsoft that are building uh, their applications or their services on top of .NET? And uh, we're going to talk about a few of these today. First off, you can see here Azure Active uh, Directory Gateway is running on .NET. Uh, the app service gateway is running on .NET. I'll talk about both of those in a second. Bing.com, if you go to Bing and Bing something, that's running on .NET. If you're hitting a Dynamics 365 web application, well, the gateway in front of that is uh, running on .NET. So you can see that Azure, Bing, Dynamics are all running on .NET. There's lots more as well, uh, but these are a few that we're going to talk about today. Now, I mentioned a second ago that there's the, I said the word gateway a few times. Uh, a gateway is like a reverse proxy sitting in front of an application. Uh, Azure App Service is an example of, of, of a place where this happens, and so is Dynamics. And so we were you know, talking to teams around Microsoft, and they needed a modern uh, reverse proxy. And we thought that would be a great example of something to try to build on top of .NET 6 as a way to make sure that we're continuing to push and drive performance. And so you can see here on the slide, uh, Dynamics, which is running behind uh, Yarp, uh, which is now available in 1.0, available to you today. You can see 100 billion requests a month, 7.5 petabytes of data going through this gateway. And it shows you how .NET can scale. So you've got your cloud scale performance, highly extensible and customizable. It runs on a variety of our .NETs. Um, and it's, 
you know, open sourced and used by us uh, around some of our biggest services. So I'm super excited about this project. The next thing I think about when I think of cloud is what are some of the common patterns that developers building cloud applications use? One of those is going to be an interior scale web application. That's where you've got a front end uh, with a back end and some database on the back end. And .NET is great for building these applications. It's, it's, it was designed for this kind of stuff. And the second type of application is the microservice style application. This is what's kind of more modern. You know, you hear words like containers and Kubernetes. But the real point of this is breaking your application into more pieces. And each of those pieces can scale up and scale down independently of each other. It also gives your teams a better way of working um, because they can version each of, those into, each of those components separately. And the cool thing about this is .NET is great for building all these, these types of applications. So one of the core tenets of our team has been focusing on, on, on the, the end tier and the microservice style applications, and we'll do a demo of some of that in just a second. Um, if you build those types of applications, uh, Azure is a great place to host them. And you're, I'm happy to announce today that .NET 6 is available in Azure App Service in all regions, both on Windows and Linux. It's available in Azure, St Azure Static Web Applications as well, uh, with Blazor WebAssembly, uh, with AOT support. Um, and it's available in Azure Functions, both in process, process and isolated uh, models. And so, you know, if you want to build your, take your .NET 6 applications, host them in the cloud, we're ready for you right now. Now, there's a new thing we announced just last week called Azure Container Apps. And as you start thinking about building these microservice applications, we want to make sure that both Azure and .NET is completely ready for you. And so um, the big thing here is, I mentioned a lot of terms earlier, Docker files, Kubernetes, Helm charts, all these things. You know, I'm an app developer. I want to focus on my app, not the infrastructure. And Azure Container Apps enables me to do just that. I don't have to focus on, it's actually running on Kubernetes but I don't have to think about Kubernetes and all that stuff. I can just think about my containers, publish them up, uh, and they just work. Now you might ask, well, what does it do for me? It does a lot of things for you. Um, it provides scale. You're gonna see a demo of that in a second. It provides the ability for each of these apps to see each other in a microservice world. Each app has to be able to talk to each other um, and it enables that because they're running all in the same cluster. Um, it enables you to basically roll forward and roll back um, your applications. And so that's gonna be Azure Container Apps it's a great way of building .NET applications for Azure. And I'm also excited to announce that with um, Visual Studio 17.1, that's the preview of the, of the next minor version of, of Visual Studio, um, we've already got support for building uh, worker service applications uh, right from Visual Studio. You can publish right to Azure Container Apps. In the next preview, preview version, we're gonna add all of the web types. So you can build an ASP.NET minimal API and easily publish it right from Visual Studio. Now with that, I'm gonna bring up David and Scott and they're gonna talk about how they can build these microservice style applications with .NET. Thanks Scott, one. Hello Scott too. Hello, hello. Nice right. shirt, that's pretty good. It's a pretty good shirt. This is actually a shirt the team made. It actually has the commits and on the back is actually a bunch of names of the team who built the product. Very cool. Pretty cool. Very cool. I like that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I want. I want to trade you. Not for sale. Not for sale. All, All right. right. So, so let's uh, context setting. Yep. We saw Maria and Mads a minute ago, and they were making a minimal backend web API because we're building a podcasting podcast. application. That's here. Right. Okay. So, what's our role in this podcasting app? How do we get podcasts in the first place? Right. So we need to figure out how to get podcasts in the system to actually expose it to our clients. 
Okay, so podcasts are usually RSS feeds. Yep. The naive thing to do would be to have a, a client app talk directly to your podcast and get your RSS feed. Every at, single time. Will that scale? It's expensive, right? So let's mm. not do that. So instead, we want to have the front-end API have an ingestion point where I can send an RSS feed, and it will put it into a background cube because it wants to process that feed to do a whole bunch of things, compute-intensive things. Okay. Yep. So the RSS feed gets sent in and put on a queue, and we don't know whether it's going to be like one a minute or 10,000 a minute. We That's could right. get on Hacker News. It could be a could thing. It could be a burst. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we need to scale our little startup here. That's right. All right. So we have two applications, mm -hmm. the podcast API for the, for the back end and a background worker and a queue in between them. Background workers have historically been complicated because, you know, an ASP.NET app is usually good for, like, a request came in and a response comes back. This right. is a long-running background thing. That's right. And then you just said it has to scale, too? That's right. Okay. That's kind of hard sometimes. It is hard. Um, but luckily, we have a, a, a first-class thing called a worker service in .NET for these background workers specifically. Okay. Let's see it. All right. Let's jump into the code now. So let's go into the project. And this is the backend API that Maria and Matt showed. Mm -hmm. Should we zoom a little bit? Okay. Um, the queue client right here is the address stored SDK queue client. I'm adding it to the dependency injection container. And I'm grabbing the connection string from configuration called feed queue. Okay. And now we're going to scroll down all the way down, down, down to a minimal endpoint. It's ah. very succinct right here. Um, the v1 feeds endpoint is going to inject the queue client via dependency injection in the argument. Right. It's pretty nice. And then we get the RSS feed ingested from the client. The client is sending a post okay. to our endpoint. And we're going to create the queue if it doesn't exist. And then we're going to put um, a binary serialized payload into the queue. So we've okay. got our, our, our ambition from the actual client. We're going to put it into the queue. And we're off to the races. So you've posted that to that endpoint. And then you have to ingest it, put it into the queue. And then yep. some workers will pick it up later. That's right. All right. So let's jump to the worker, the worker service. And this is a brand new .NET 6 worker service, which is using minimal API style, style code. There's global usings, top level statements. So now we have, instead of like 20 lines of code, I think it's like, hold on, 20. Let's say four lines of code. Um, Not 24. 24. Plus and I'm our, noticing, plus our code. like you said, this line one, like there's no line zero. Exactly. Right, we saw what Mads and Maria showed. There's the, the, the usings are implicit. Yep. We got to outdent instead of indent. That's still weird nice. having my code pushed up against the left. It's too but far it, left. It is, yeah, it's nice. Um, so I'm configuring access to our, our local DB, which is SQL Server. Yep. Our queue client is being configured the same way it was configured in the web API. Right. And then we're going to just add some code to handle incoming feeds right off the queue. OK. So we're going to jump into the worker service. So we've got this add hosted service worker. Yep, this thing runs forever in the background, doesn't handle any, any traffic. OK, so um, this is the actual worker right here. Yep. And I'm going to, it's an internal class, and it's derived from background service. That's right. So it runs for a long time. All right. Um, we grab the queue client, the same one that we got in the REST API. We're dequeuing a message from that. Yep. It's going to have a single feed item. So the feed right. item comes in, and it goes into a queue, yep. and then I'm just one background service, and I pick it up, pick and it I up. look at it, and I do some stuff. Yep. OK. Yep. And then we do some dependency injection magic we'll skip over. Yep. And then to the important part, we grab the body of the message. Yep. Scroll to the, to the right. It's a little bit. We convert that thing into Whoa. a from JSON, because we, we added JSON payload to the actual queue. And now we're going to grab it as a record. And we can actually deconstruct it. 
Ooh. It's pretty cool. A cool, feature, a cool feature of records. What's that? Yeah. What are those? So you grab the, you grab the record, and we can actually pull the, the properties out without having to do anything else. It's a C-sharp 9 feature, I believe. Nice. So that's an unnamed object. It's a right. record out there, yep. just like Matt's talked about. Yep. Very cool. All right. And then so we, that picks it up. Yep. And then we ingest into the queue. All right, but, that, but Hunter was talking about cloud native and, yep. and containers and scale. You just showed me how one, one worker can pick this thing up and do a thing. What That's if right. I want to do it n times in the right, cloud? So, so if, if, if you wanted to, typically what you would do is you would scale out your workers on demand based on the load of the queue, the queue size. Okay. So if I get Hacker News, if I get um, spammed or some, for some reason. You could be Hanselman. You could be, ha okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you could be Hanselman. Um, you get a big ingestion of queues, and then you get more, you would get more worker services to handle okay. the load. All right. Well, we've heard about containers. How do I get this into a container then? All right. So first, we have to containerize the application by adding Docker support. But since this is a keynote, this has been done beforehand. Yep. But we can do it really easily. Just right-click, yep, add Docker support. Add Docker support. Cool. So now we have it for our podcast API and for our worker. There's two Docker files there. Yep. Right. And now, with Magic Demo Gods, I'm going to show you the live service running in Azure. I'm going to skip that part. Okay. So we log into the Azure portal. Azure portal should have um, refresh. Refresh. Because it logged us out. Because we've been hanging out. All right. Yay. It's okay. We took too long. Before we were waiting, we'll log you back in. So it's running in Azure, we promise. There go. There's a podcast application. So we've got a resource group. It's running as an Azure container app because we actually have a microservice. Cool, cool. Here's the environment. Scroll down a little bit. Scroll, we scroll, should see scroll, scroll, two scroll, scroll, applications, scroll. the API, and the podcast worker. And there's one more that I won't talk about. OK, so we got the podcast. we got the ingestion. Cool. Yep. OK, so it's up there in a container running app right now. And now we want to show you WebScale. So here is WebScale. WebScale. So I have uh, a script that will simulate a ton of users Hitting my backend API. Okay. And the queue, right now, there, there's nothing running for the background queue. Okay. So no not, replicas. I'm not paying for any compute right now. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, so, so we're not famous yet. It's we free. It costs us nothing. It's free. All right. All right. Let's do it. So now we're going to hit enter. So you're simulating traffic right here. Yep. You're grabbing. I got, I got Hacker News. And now, my podcast. and now it's going to scale up. And now it's going to scale up. I hope <laughs> it's going to scale up. It's going to okay. go from zero. So you just did a bunch of requests. And we've got a replica here. And then how do we know when it succeeds? It's going to hit one at some point. OK. Takes a couple, 10, it's, 20 seconds. It's, it's, it's probably so. already happened, right? It's possible. So which one of these is this one here? Yeah, it probably will show up. OK. Do we have to run this let me, multiple let, times? Let me try one thing. All right. Let me try. And if we figure out something, oh, you're going to run the while statement again? Yep. Oh. Yay! Oh, what? So what? we didn't see it move to three, but <laughs> it went to three. OK, so you were hoping that that would automatically yeah. update, but that, yep. that little sleeper probably fell asleep. It did fall, yeah. Fell OK, asleep. cool. So that means that it, it now went from zero, no money, to like three. And Some then money. when it's done, it'll chill back down to one or two. That's right. After the whole keynote. After done, the whole keynote. It'll done. be zero. Right. Very cool. All right. So, so this will set up. scale, yeah. microservices. Container apps. .NET, container apps, Docker. Long running background services. Yep. So then now our client team is all set up for success. Yep. Awesome. Very cool. All right, let's bring it back bring to Scott. Scott. Thanks, David and Scott. So let's talk about client development. So we shipped Blazor a couple of years ago, and Blazor is a great way of building full-stack web applications with .NET. Blazor lets you build a modern client-side application um, just using C Sharp. You don't have to write any JavaScript at all. And uh, we have two models of building Blazor applications. You have a Blazor server application. Um, which is when 
you have the full power of .NET because the app's actually running on a server. And as I make changes to the application, uh, a request is sent down to the server, it sends the state back, and we redraw just the parts of the screen uh, <clears throat> that need to be updated. And so it's, it's, a, it's an amazing tech because it gives you a super lightweight SPA-style application, uh, hundreds of bytes versus megs. Uh, but there's also another flavor of Blazor called Blazor WebAssembly. And in, in Blazor WebAssembly, we, we use the power of WebAssembly to run your entire Blazor application directly in the browser. Now, this is kind of cool because an application like this doesn't even require the cloud. You could actually run a, a full app, like a game or something, that runs totally in the browser with no connection to the back end. Um, and so we offer you these amazing choices of building whatever kind of front, front end app you want to build with .NET. Um, it gets a lot better with .NET 6. Those Blazor WebAssembly applications, um, you know, we actually interpreted them in, uh, using a WASM interpreter in .NET 5. With .NET 6, you can compile your entire application before. We call that ahead of time compile, which means the app will run much, much faster and at more native speeds in the browser. Another thing is, you know, I mentioned before, um, one of the benefits of Blazor Server is small, small uh, footprints of, of amount of data that goes to the browser. We've done a lot of work in .NET 6 to reduce the size of a Blazor WebAssembly app as well. And Dan's going to show that in a little bit. And uh, uh, so those are just a few of the, the things. I'm going to let Dan really uh, do a deep dive into all the cool stuff that's coming in Blazor and .NET 6 in just a second. Um, but I'm also excited about Blazor Fluent UI components. So uh, about a year ago, we started working on uh, you know, Teams, Microsoft Teams. There's a, there's a mechanism that you can build apps that can be hosted inside of Microsoft Teams. And if you're a .NET developer, you can build a Teams application using Blazor. And we had to make sure those, those Teams applications looked appropriate inside of the Teams client. And so Teams is built using something called Fluent UI. Uh, it's some UI standards built by Microsoft. And what we've done, you can see here, we've got 40 plus Blazor components that wrap Fluent UI, which allows you to build applications that look amazing and look like modern Microsoft applications using Blazor and .NET. Um, and you can see here, integration with web, Windows, Teams, Office, and more. Um, and I think uh, that maybe, maybe they're gonna show a little bit of this. I know they're gonna show a dark and a, and a, and a light theme thing in a second. Uh, but super excited about these new components for Blazor. So you've got uh, all the Blazor 6, 6 features, Blazor Fluent UI components, and then, of course, you just can't talk about client with Blazor. We also have to talk about .NET MAUI, or .NET Multi-Platform App UI. This is one of the uh, exciting features to me in .NET 6. Uh, it's going to ship uh, early next year. Um, and what this is, is it's an evolution of Xamarin. So Xamarin was a, a library or, or, a, or a, uh, a product for building iOS and Android applications on .NET. But we thought, let's take that to the next level. Um, let's actually let you build apps that run on Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android. So one single code base can target all of those platforms. We also took the uh, Xamarin and enhanced it again as well. With Xamarin, you had a project for each of these different uh, you know, platforms. Now we have a single unified uh, project. One project can support all of those app types. You can right-click in the, in the IDE and deploy to the various targets you want to, you want to do it. And I said, it's going to be available next year. Another cool part about MAUI is it's not really a, a UI stack. If you look here, notice it's for, on Windows it shows WinUI. 
on Mac. It shows Mac Catalyst, iOS, and Android. What, what Maui actually is doing is abstracting each of those platforms and using the actual real underlying technology. So your Windows app, if you build a, window, a Windows Maui app, it looks like Windows. If you build a Mac app, it looks like Mac. Um, and that's one of the cool aspects of, of this technology. And so I'm super excited about it. It's going to ship um, early next year. And then we thought, let's take it to the next extreme. You know, I'm a web developer, but just because I'm a web developer, I still might want to have access to a desktop or a device. And so we're going to let you take Blazor and .NET MAUI and merge them together into a single unified stack. So I can build a MAUI application, I can reference a Blazor project, and that lets me build a desktop application using web, which means I can share all my web components across all those different platforms. And so if, whether you're a web developer or you're a native application developer, you get the best of both worlds in .NET between MAUI and, uh, <clears throat> and then Blazor and .NET MAUI. So with that, I want to move and talk to uh, a couple of customers that we have running on .NET. Um, and so this is uh, Powered4.tv. It's a startup media company based in the UK, serving 65 countries worldwide. They provide independent, on-demand wrestling content to their viewers. They use Blazor WebAssembly for their front end and ASP.NET Core on Azure, and are very happy with the productivity, performance, and scale. In fact, they've been using .NET, .NET 6 release candidates for the live site for a while. Uh, check out Steve's talk later uh, in the conference. Also, I want to talk about ProntoPay. ProntoPay is another startup based in Houston, Texas, that chose to go into production with .NET MAUI because they needed to move fast. They, they love the simplicity of a single code base that they can build to target multiple devices and the productivity of Visual Studio. And then GE Digital Aviation, um, they are a group that developed Flight Pulse, an app that puts data and analytics in the hands of more than 3,000 Qantas pilots to help them improve safety and efficiency on every flight. The config console is built with Blazor, and they were able to work faster, share more code, and it was a lot more seamless development experience than they had previously had with Angular. And so with that, let's roll a video. Flying an airplane is no small feat. Commercial pilots must make hundreds of decisions to get passengers to their destination safely. But what if we could give pilots the tools to make better decisions, to understand how their actions affect critical areas like safety, fuel efficiency, and sustainability? GE Digital created the Flight Pulse app to meet this challenge connecting millions of data points from onboard sensors to give pilots true insight. Built on Microsoft Azure and using Blazor, a framework for developing web UI with c -sharp and .NET, Flight Pulse provides crucial flight data to the people who need it most. GE developers built the backend APIs for Flight Pulse with ASP.NET Core, and they chose Blazor, a feature of ASP.NET Core, for the UI. Because Blazor uses c -sharp for both client and server code, developers could easily share code and logic between the front and back end. Backed by Blazor and other Microsoft technology, GE was able to work faster and more efficiently, 
bringing flight pulse to life in months instead of years. Now pilots can review their post-flight data and make important adjustments. In fact, pilots have increased their performance of fuel efficiency techniques by up to 15%, reducing carbon emissions. Putting useful data into pilots' hands benefits everyone. Together, GE Digital and Microsoft are making the skies a better place to be. And I'm excited to also mention that .NET MAUI Preview 10 is available today. You just have to grab the preview builds of Visual Studio 17.1. And if you didn't know this, you can actually install preview builds side by side with the RTM build. They don't mess with each other at all, so it's, it's, it's actually safe. I, I've been doing it for years at this point. And so if you want to try .NET MAUI, grab the preview build. It will not you know, interfere with your RTM build. Um, and the preview 10 adds a few things, Windows app SDK, fully integrated, more controls, performance improvements for Android, um, and a lot of layout improvements and bug fixes. And as I said before, this is gonna ship early next year. And now that we've talked about some of the client technologies, I'm gonna bring up uh, Dan to talk about Blazor. All right, thank you, Scott. Hello, everyone. Well, we just saw how we can build a simple and scalable backend for our .NET podcast app. Now let's use ASP.NET Core and Blazor to build a beautiful modern web UI for our .NET podcast app. So I've got the uh, front end application here. Let's go ahead and get this running. Go ahead and build, get it going, there it is. All right, so we have this beautiful landing page for the application. It's got a nice, modern, responsive UI. It looks great on big screens and small screens. This page was actually built using ASP.NET Core Razor pages, so it's being dynamically generated on the server. But if we sign into the podcast app, now the podcast app part, this was built using Blazor WebAssembly. So it's running client-side in my browser on a WebAssembly-based .NET runtime. So this is full-stack web development with .NET. Now we've got a bunch of features already implemented. We can check out one of these podcasts. Let's check out the .NET MAUI podcast. We can select an episode. Let's go ahead and play that. Oh yeah. Yeah, I got in-browser playback. Got a nice jazzy. <laughs> theme song. I'm definitely going to want to listen to that later. So let's go ahead and mark it actually to listen later using this little icon. That will make that episode show up in my listen later list so I can remember to listen to all those podcasts that I want to listen to. We can also go back to the discover page and you saw these little plus icons on each of the podcasts. We can select podcasts that we want to subscribe to. Let's subscribe to .NET MAUI, maybe this one. And now I'll get uh, notified when there are new episodes for these podcasts. And I want those to show up here on this subscriptions page, but nothing's showing up there yet because it's not implemented. Let's take care of that now. All right, so I'm gonna snap the browser over here to the side with Visual Studio. Let's give ourselves a little bit more room to see the code. All right, so here's the actual subscriptions page.razor file, and you can see I've left myself a little to do here to actually add some code. We're already loading all of the subscriptions into this show subscriptions variable, so let's render them. So I'm gonna delete that and let's add, I don't know, let's add an unordered list, and then let's do a for each over each item in the show subscriptions. There they are, all right, great. And then inside here, let's render list items for each one. There we go. And after we got that, 
we'll go ahead and, I don't know, let's just render the title of the uh, podcast just so we get something on the screen. So item.title, not title page, I want item.title. Okay, great. So that should be good. We're all looking all right here. Yep. Uh, so now let's go ahead and click the hot reload button to apply that to our running application. And boom, it just shows up like almost instantaneously. Hot reload will apply my code changes to the running app while it's running without having to rebuild and restart. So you preserve all your app state, you can be productive and code and build your UI quickly. So let's add some more stuff in here. Let's go and uh, let's show the author. I don't know, we'll just throw in an H3 header in here. Item, oh, item dot, I need an at sign, so it's an actually an item, author. All right, and so this time, instead of using the hot reload button, I've already set up this setting right here where we can hot reload on file save. So I'm gonna hit the save button this time. Oop, looks like I have a, a bug in my code. What did I do? Oh, yep, a little turd at the end there. There we go. Okay, so we'll save that right here. And boom, hot reloads into the application, great. We're gonna need some images. So let's do uh, image source equals, and I think on each item, there is an image property that we can use to get the image URL. Let's close that off, save one more time, and we're seeing our images on the screen. Great, so that's hot reload. Now obviously we've got some styling issues here. We need to, to, to fix that. I've already got a, um, a little uh, uh, show card component that's part of this application that I'm gonna use to render each show. So let's remove all the stuff that we hand typed before and let's just put in this uh, custom made component. What is this doing? Well, let's go to definition to, to see what it does. Uh, in this show card component, we have a card and it has an action menu. And inside the action menu, that's where we're actually gonna render the little plus sign so we can subscribe to each show. And then if we look at the definition for the card, that's pretty simple. That's just a, you know, divs and rendering the picture and so forth, okay? So let's go ahead and hot reload that. We'll save. All right, now we're getting somewhere. So we've got, you know, full width images and we got styling for our title and author. Uh, we can see the little action on, the, um, uh, on each show now. If we unsubscribe, it then disappears from the subscription page. We can add another one back if we want to and that should then show up on our subscriptions page. Okay, so that's good. It's not quite what I want yet though. Like I really would like these um, podcasts to look like the ones on the Discover page, this sort of grid-like layout. Let's see how that's done on the Discover page. Well, it's got this grid component that it's using to lay out each of the, of the podcasts. So let's just copy that. We'll just reuse that. We can get rid of our unordered list and just put in the grid, Do a little formatting here. And then I think we gotta change the code up here. Let's uh, remove this group.value and put in our show subscriptions. So we're iterating over that. And I don't even think we need this T item here because that should be inferred. Okay, now when I save this, oh, okay. Well, Visual Studio now is telling me that this actually was a change that can't be hot reloaded. It was involving a little too much stuff. And that can happen. Some changes are not supported with hot reload. We're working on expanding the set of changes that are. But when it does, Visual Studio will prompt you and let you know, hey, you probably, you need to rebuild this application, which is this first option. Or you can go back to editing if you wanna fix things up. And there's even this option up here, this checkbox that you can say, you know what? I always want to rebuild whenever this happens. So just go ahead and do that for me. Now I'm gonna go ahead and go back to the subscriptions page, rebuild and apply the changes. Hopefully if I did everything right, then we should now see our subscriptions nicely laid out in the grid, just like they are on the Discover page. So it's rebuilding and it refreshes the browser for me automatically. 
beautiful. All right, that looks exactly like how I want it to. Now, one last thing I want to fix. If I remove all my subscriptions, I'm just going to uncheck these. They disappear. Now I'm left with this blank screen. That's not very nice. Let's add a little bit of UI when we have no subscriptions. Got another little snippet right here that I'm just going to copy and paste, save on some typing. We'll go back to the app. So in this empty results for this grid, uh, we're going to add that little bit of content. And then we'll save that into Hot Reload one more time. And boom, we got our nice little UI placeholder. We can go back, discover podcasts, subscribe to a couple. And now they show up on our subscriptions page. Awesome. So that's Hot Reload. You can get productive fast. Looks like this app is ready to, to publish. Let's go ahead and, um, and publish the application. So I'm going to go to the Solution Explorer, right click on Podcast uh, Server, the server project, and we're going to uh, publish this application. Now, when we do that, this is a Blazor WebAssembly app. We want to use all of the new optimizations in .NET 6 to make this app nice and small and load fast. Now, in earlier versions of .NET, we could trim the .NET code to remove any code that you weren't using. We would pre-compress the files to make them as small as possible using Brotly compression. But the .NET runtime itself, which was implemented in WebAssembly, was kind of a fixed quantity. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Like in this app, even in development, we can see this. If I F12 to see the browser dev tools, make this a little bit bigger. And let's just clear out the site data so we can see all the files get downloaded. And there's lots of stuff that will be downloaded during development because it's unoptimized. But if we look at the .NET WASM file, the runtime, huh, you know, that guy, it's a little big, you know. I mean, for a runtime, it's pretty impressive that it's only a megabyte. Uh, this is only gzip compressed. If you broadly compress it, it does get smaller, like seven, eight hundred kilobytes. But can we do better? And the answer is yes. In .NET 6, we can. We have this new .NET WebAssembly build tools that you can install with Visual Studio or with a .NET SDK. These build tools do a number of things. They allow us to ahead of time compile our application for much better runtime performance. We can link in native dependencies into our Blazor WebAssembly app. And in this case, what we're going to do is we're actually going to relink the runtime to remove stuff that we, we don't even need. OK, so I've got the tools installed. So all I have to do is publish. So if I go back to the app, let's actually do that publish now. Right click, publish. Now, I've already actually done this before. It does take a little while to run all those optimizations. But we can go ahead to the publish output. And let's run the server. OK, there it is. Now, when I've done this in the past, I typically yeah, I hit this caching issue. So we're just going to fix this real quick. This is from the previous demo. We're using the same port as, a, as an earlier demo. So I'm just going to right click, empty cache, and hard refresh. And now when we go to the root of the app, hopefully, yeah, OK, we can see the application. Now, if we go to the podcast app, I'm going to leave the browser dev tools up because we want to see that .NET.WASM. There it is. And if we look at its size now, only 350 kilobytes, dramatic size reduction. So our app loads much faster. We can do even better with .NET 6 by pre-rendering this app from the server. We can take those same Blazor components and render them server-side so that we get HTML and pixels on the screen like almost immediately. And with .NET 6, we can actually take any state that you used while pre-rendering, like you go, went and fetched all the podcasts, and we can persist that into the page so that it can be reused on the client. Like notice if I um, refresh this app, refresh, refresh, I can just keep refreshing, it loads almost instantly. There's no loading spinner. There's no loading dot, dot, dot. That's because it's being pre-rendered. And if we look at the source for the page, the HTML that we got from the server, here's all these divs. These are all the podcasts. They're already rendered into the page. And at the very bottom, there's this Blazor component state. 
That's the podcast data that we got from the server that we can then reuse on the client. That's state preservation during pre-rendering, new in .NET 6. Last thing, you know, this thing, of course, has got to be a progressive web app. So you can see that uh, Edge is uh, recognizing that it's a, it's a progressive web app. It's got a web uh, service worker and a web manifest. So we can install this on our Windows machine. And now we've got a nice uh, native shell. Looks great. We can listen to podcasts. This is now a stunning web application built with .NET 6. But if we really want to deliver an elevated experience to our podcast users, we're actually going to want to have native client apps for mobile and desktop that can take full advantage of the capabilities of those devices, do things that you may not, might even be able to do on the web. And for that, we're going to need .NET MAUI. And that's what Maddie, I think, is going to show us now. Come on out, Maddie. Thanks, Dan. Right, let me switch over my desktop. Great. So .NET MAUI is the best way to develop apps with .NET and C Sharp and XAML for Windows, Android, iOS, and Mac Catalyst. So your, your desktop platforms, your mobile platforms, all the things you could possibly want. And right here, I actually have the same app design that you just saw from Dan. But instead of being built with Razor, it is built with C Sharp and .NET. So let's take a look at the uh, Solution Explorer when I found, find my mouse. Um, you can see it's kind of the MVVM you know and love if you've built a desktop or a mobile app with .NET before. We've got our views and our view models. We've got some other stuff in here for Blazor, and we'll look at that later. Um, and I just have some pages uh, right here and all the things I could possibly need to build a beautiful app with XAML and .NET and C Sharp. So .NET MAUI, like Scott mentioned, uh, is really built on this foundation of being really, really simple. And so we have one project for you where all of your code lives, and that's right here. That's this uh, Microsoft NetConf 2021 MAUI project. And so it's got one project file where I have all the target frameworks listed using, using multi-targeting with .NET 6. And I can also set all of the uh, attributes of my application in this one place. So it's just called .NET Pods. Um, I have my app ID, my version, version 1, because this is the first release of this app. Um, some target framework stuff for the supported operating systems for the platforms I'm on. And then this is probably my favorite part of .NET MAUI. All of our shared images um, are declared right here. So we see that we're just including the wildcard folders for these images and fonts, which in my Solution Explorer, all right, scroll resources here. Um, so I have some fonts, some images, I have shared strings, I have shared styles, and then I have these SVGs here as well that are called app icon and splash. Uh, so with .NET MAUI, you can use SVG files right off the bat. That means they're going to scale perfectly for you no matter what device or resolution you are targeting. And you don't have to mess around with all different types of PNGs and sizes. Uh, but something that we do that's really cool is we dynamically create for you app icons and splash screens based on the, the files you give us and the attributes you set in your project file. So this is just a MAUI image. And you can see it's my resources, the app icon right here. And I have a foreground file. So this app icon back here is actually just a background color. Um, and then I have my foreground file, which is the foreground. So that's a little logo of the podcasts app. Um, and then I just have is app icon true. That's it. Um, and that tells the app that when it builds this and bundles it and makes the package native for the device or the platform that it's running on, 
uh, to use that as the app icon. And same thing with the splash screen. So the splash screen or the loading screen or the launch screen, whatever you want to call it. We just have an SVG we give it in a background color and that pops right up when we load up the app. So I have it running here already on Windows. You can see it's the same app, but like I said, it is in XAML and C Sharp. So there's a little bit different styling because my app isn't quite as pretty as Dan's, but uh, he worked really hard on it, so it's fine. It's the same thing. I can click around. I can see everything. I can subscribe. This beautiful subscription functionality, it's wonderful. Um, but I have all of the tooling that you'd get for Windows apps, and this is using WinApp SDK, so it's WinUI 3, this app. I get all of that tooling inside of Visual Studio 2022, which shipped yesterday. Um, and I am in Visual Studio 2022 Preview 1, so the preview release, which also shipped yesterday, which is where you're going to get all of the MAUI development tools and the MAUI workload installed right for you uh, from the installation. So like Scott said, great to run them side by side. So let's go into a XAML page here. We'll go into the Discover page. Um, got a lot of code here. And so one of my favorite things to show off the beautiful XAML Hot Reload is to first pop it into XAML Live Preview. So this is actually the same app. Um, it's this app. And it's taking a second to load, and that's OK. We can restart it if we need to. Uh, let's do that. Boop, boop, boop. I played around with it too much. That's OK. I'm going to let it rebuild. Um, and then we're going to look at Live Preview, which you might have seen from some of the demos yesterday. Live Preview is the ability to actually mirror the app that's running in Visual Studio. So instead of having to click in between it being up on top of my screen right now like it is, or uh, you know, move it to the side or move it to my second monitor, I can just pop open Live Preview. And I see it right here. I can add my rulers and my grids and all the great things. So on my collection view here, let me pin that. Um, on my collection view, which is kind of this collection of all the different, uh, it's kind of like a grid, all the different podcasts we have here. I'm just going to add a background color. And I'm going to make it hot pink because it's going to be very obvious when I make this beautiful hot pink background change. I'll zoom this in a little bit. Um, and I can see that I can add my grid lines. It's just the app that's running right here in Visual Studio. I can also go ahead and uh, you know, inspect different parts of my UI. So let's pull up this live visual tree here and expand this app. And so I can see that this is a shell app. We're using shell to describe our navigation. Uh, it's just four tabs, discover, subscriptions, listen later, and settings. I can open it up and click around. I can see this collection view. I can go to where that's defined in the code. Uh, and I can really easily navigate all my XAML, even on this super constrained screen right now, because I'm zoomed way in so you can see it, uh, and find all the different things I need so I can make the edits I need really quickly. So let me get rid of that hot pink. Control-Z. There we go. Don't want that. And let's take a look at this at the second platform I want to show you, which is Android. So I have a platforms folder in this project. And it has some of the native code I need to tell an app how to start on all the different platforms. So we have Android, iOS, Mac, Catalyst, and Windows. And because this app is multi-targeted, I can go into my regular debug and deployment dropdown, my platform selector, whatever you want to call it. I can change my framework right here to .NET 6 Android. And it pops up with this uh, long titled thing, which is a beautiful new feature of Windows 11 called the Windows subsystem for Android. So I'm going to start building this. Give it a second. And I'm going to tell you how I did this, which is by using the Android debug bridge, the ADB, which is part of the Android development kit that's installed with MAUI and Visual Studio. You don't have to do anything special to get that. Um, I opened up the Android Windows subsystem for Android. I connected to the port. And now my computer believes that this is a physical Android device plugged into my machine. 
uh, but it's just showing up right here on my screen. And this is the same app, the same code I just had on Windows, but now it's running on Android. And I can prove this to you by doing another hot reload here. Background color is hot pink. And there we go. Nice, nice and uh, ruining this beautiful app with my background colors. So the Windows subsystem for Android is built, uh, it uses the um, Amazon App Store. So if you need to use the Google Play APIs, this might not be the right solution for you to test that specific functionality. But you can uh, use this just like an emulator, except it's, as you saw, a lot faster than what you might expect with an emulator. Um, or you can use a physical device. There's all different ways to debug and target Android, um, and you can do what's best for you depending on the needs of your app. Since this app is not using any Google Play APIs, that uh, I have no problem using the Windows subsystem for Android here, and it's awesome and works great. And I still have my live visual tree here, so I can click around. Okay, that's one half of the Maui story. We're gonna flip over to the Mac. You can tell that this is my Mac because it has all my stickers on it. Um, and up here I have the same app, again, the same XAML, same C-sharp, running on an iPhone simulator. So it's in dark mode because dark mode is the best. I can flip it on and off, beautiful. Um, I could, you know, do my, all the, the code editing I wanna do here. This is Visual Studio for Mac Preview, which released yesterday as well. Uh, we are currently working on .NET MAUI support in Visual Studio for Mac. So you're not gonna have like as, full and robust of an experience as you have in the Windows preview yet. Uh, we're looking at releasing that in preview early next year for Mac and then shipping it with, with um, .NET MAUI when we do ship general availability. But it's still a great text editor. It's been rebuilt from the ground up. They're moving it to .NET 6. So VS Mac is going to be built on .NET 6 in just a couple of releases. Um, and it is going to have native Mac M1 support for the new processor. So it's already super fast but it's gonna get even faster, which is very exciting. Uh, and so yeah, so I have it on the iOS simulator here and I can interact with it and all the things. It's beautiful. Little layout stuff that I can go tweak if I want to because this is now rendering using the iOS controls for the native iOS platform. Um, and then there's one more I wanna show you. So let's pull this up and I think I have it running and I do, finally on my Mac. So this is running natively on my MacBook using what's called Mac Catalyst, uh, which is kind of Macs and Apple's cross-platform technology to run the same app for uh, a MacBook, for IO, uh, an iPad OS, for on an iPad, and for an iPhone. So we can actually deploy this version of the app onto all those devices, which is really exciting. But it's the same thing. Of course, I have my dark mode. Gotta have it, it's great. Turn that off. Um, and this is all, again, the same code. So I know it sounds like I repeated myself, but I am just so excited that we can have this one project, the same pages, the same MVVM and C-sharp and XAML and all the things running in all the places using the amazing tooling that we have with Visual Studio and Visual Studio for Mac for iOS, Android, Mac, and Windows using .NET MAUI. Maddie, hold on. Oh, no. Before you wrap <laughs> up, I can tell you're about to finish. I have something to show you. We oh. just added something to the Blazor web application. Okay. And it's super cool. Let me let me let me show it to you. So I'm gonna let me bring up a browser here. I'm gonna okay. go to the, the the site that we've deployed to Azure. 
And so when you sign in now, okay. there was this listen together tab. You may have noticed that before. It's now working. Ooh. What this allows us to do, yeah, go to the site on, on your Mac. If I click, pick a, an episode, like let's just pick this one. There's this icon over here called listen together. I can select an episode and then let me type in my name and this will create a room. And then you should be able to join my room. I yeah. see it. So this is using SignalR, so it's a real-time experience. Now we can listen to this podcast together. Let's go ahead and get it going. Yeah. Oh, hey. Even better, you can react. Yeah, I see you're sending me some hearts. Yeah, I'm going to send you some, some thumbs ups. Yeah, so I think this is a really great experience for listening to podcasts with your friends. Yeah. Can we get this in the, the Maui version of the app on mobile and desktop? It's just a Blazor component. Dan, I'm like 10 steps ahead of you, don't worry. Let's take a look at what I've done here. Uh, I brought in that same component you're using in that Blazor app. I brought it into my Maui project here. So I just linked it. It's just a library, right? Podcast components. And I referenced it in this page we have, which I have up, the Listen Together page. That's just a Blazor web view. A Blazor, right? so that's not kind of like a little browser control in your Maui app. In my Maui app, yep. And, and so my listen together component, I reference it right here just as a component type. And then in my shell, which is again how I describe kind of the hierarchy of the navigation of my app, I just added a listen together tab. So does it so work? I go like, here. Like if Let's I, see, it's loading can you join? with Blazor. Oh, <laughs> that's you, your room? Can you join my room? I'll join as Maddie too. Oh, you can never I'm have enough Maddie. You it's can true. never have enough. All right, let's, let's see. And can then I'll listen. clap. Yeah, we're listening to the podcast. Oh and my it goodness, works. lots of applause. And lots this player applause. here, this is cool, is native to the Mac. Ah, so that's actually built with the code necessary for Mac to have the best player experience. And that's a web player. And on there, it was the Android player. And now, and now it's on back. And now I'm going to put the crying emoji because I'm so happy this demo worked. <laughs> so native .NET MAUI app with native UI controls, with Blazor web UI all together, cross-platform, desktop and mobile and web. Mm -hmm. That's pretty amazing. Thank you. Thank you for Thank doing that. Thank you. We're going to turn it back over to you, Scott. Thanks, Maddie and Dan. That was great. <clears throat> and with that, you've seen a lot of the cool technologies that we're releasing with .NET 6. And so my ask to you is go grab .NET 6 today, download Visual Studio 2022 today, go try the Upgrade Assistant, and try out the Maui previews. Um, I think you're going to find, you know, I, I will tell you, sitting back and being part of the keynote and watching all the things that we released today, is ne never a better time to be a .NET developer. So uh, please have a great conference. And ask us lots of questions on Twitter. Uh, we're going to be there all week. Thank you.